Welcome to Elevate, the masterclass where we dissect the elements of exceptional achievement and lifestyle design with a focus on personal growth and real estate investing. Now, here's your host, Tyler Chesser. Elevate Nation, welcome back. This is Tyler Chesser. I'm so thankful to have you here. And I'm blessed and grateful to be sitting down with Mike Michalowicz today. And I just want to introduce the show. I want to introduce Elevate Nation to Mike Michalowicz, who is an amazing, amazing author, uh, business author. He's written six uh, amazing business books. So you definitely want to check those out. One of which is, which shoulder am I on here? It is over my right shoulder. You see Profit First back there. Many of the guests on Elevate have talked about Profit First and how it has been one of the most impactful books that they've ever read. And I know Mike just came out with Fix This Next, which is an amazing additional book. And he's got others that have been extremely impactful for many entrepreneurs, many business leaders, business owners. So you definitely want to check out Mike McCallowitz. So I'm super excited to dive into an amazing conversation with Mike today and really dive into not only the mindset and you know some of the shifts that he's made in his life and some of his background in his businesses and how he's using his business, you know, not only the business that he runs, but, you know, teaches and coaches and leads others to run as well in terms of how to create that vehicle towards creating lasting impact. Because I love the fact that, you know, really his philosophy on business is about, look, you've got to, you know, you got to pour into your own cup before you can pour into others cups and profiting first is just one example of that. So super excited about diving into a great conversation today with Mr. McCallowitz. And until then, you know, I really want to ask you another question that I always ask is, are you ready to take it to another level? Because I have no doubt that we're going to do that today. I want to welcome you back to the show where we sit down for mind expanding conversations with influential authorities in real estate, as well as top experts in other industries and disciplines. As you know, we are multifaceted here with Elevate. So it is our mission to identify and apply how the best of the best raise the bar personally and professionally to achieve greatness in real estate and beyond. And whatever your business is, whether it's real estate or whether your business is really operating the real estate portfolio, it's super important to think about it from that capacity. We will distill the mindset, the habits, the routines, the systems, the processes, the tools, you know, strategies, and so much more from an individual like Mike Michalowicz, you know, so that you can elevate to a life without limits yourself and use that business and use that vehicle to serve you rather than you to really be the servant of that business. Because we all know anybody who's been an entrepreneur knows that that is the case and that it can be the case at times. So you've got to get out of that. And this is a masterclass for leaders and those looking to achieve uncommon results and purposeful outcomes through real estate investing and ultimately you know, other ventures, and most importantly, and ultimately in their lives. If you appreciate what my team and I are doing on the show, uh, we would certainly be grateful if you subscribe to the show, if you you give us a rating, whether it's a five-star rating or otherwise, give us some feedback here of a review of exactly what are you applying to your own business, to your own life, and how are you elevating right now? Because it's super, you know, it's very important for us. It helps us reach this message to more people and Really, our goal, to be honest with you, I know I say it all the time, is to reach millions of people with this message. You don't have to live a life that you tolerate. You can actually live a life of fulfillment, of abundance, of joy, you know, really through committing to the process, through investing in your own knowledge, through investing in the expansion of your mind, through investing in your health, your personal growth, and of course, your business, which we're actually going to dive into today. And I'm really excited to introduce to you Mike Michalowicz, who is the founder I'm sorry, he's the author of Profit First, Clockwork, 
Surge, and The Pumpkin Plan. And his newest release is Fix This Next, as I just mentioned to you just a bit earlier. By his 35th birthday, Mike had founded and sold two companies, one to private equity and another to a Fortune 500 company. Today, he is running his third multi-million dollar venture, Profit First Professionals. Mike is also a former small business columnist for the Wall Street Journal and a former business makeover specialist on MSNBC. Spit it out, Tyler. Come on, you got this. Over the years, Tyler, uh, oh my goodness. Wow, guys. Uh, Actually, we're talking about Mike now, so don't worry about this. Over the years, Mike has traveled the globe speaking with thousands of entrepreneurs and is here today to share the best of what he's learned. So with that said, enjoy this conversation with Mike Michalowicz. Mike, welcome to the show, sir. How are you? It's a joy to be here. I'm doing well. How are you doing, Tyler? I'm doing great. And uh, I really appreciate your energy and just happiness. Honestly, I just feel like you're a happy guy. So I appreciate that. <laughs> I think I am. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're a happy guy. I mean, maybe that's an assumption, but that's a good, that's a good assumption to have, right? Of somebody. Yeah. I love it. You know, the happiness factor is definitely an attractor factor, right? I mean, yeah. we, we all know the Debbie Downers, right? Like who, who wants to hang out with Debbie Downer, the, the ones you want to avoid? Um, it's actually funny, you know, this triggers a thought. Like, so I have values, my, my life's values. Um, one of them is positivity or death. That's the, hmm. I and I believe that if, if we can look at anything with positivity um, and if we choose not to, it can start the spiral toward death. I'm not saying put rose-colored glasses on for everything. Like, oh, there's a COVID pandemic. People are dying. <laughs> like, no, but um, there's opportunities to, to, to see positive aspects of it and, and leverage it. If we just continue that downward spiral, at least for me, that's a very dangerous position to be in. Yeah, and, and it seems like you can either be sort of, you can have a penchant for positivity or negativity and you automatically see in one direction or the other. positivity, yeah. But you have to work at that, right? I mean, that's not natural, is it? Or maybe it is for you. Uh, yeah, it's a good question. Um, I don't know. I, I think, you know what, I take it back. I think there is a natural state. Like, I think there is a default state. Um, and there, I think there is discipline too. Mm-hmm. So I do every day, like I go through um, an appreciation exercise. I got this, I went to India. I got this singing bowl. It's a bowl you hit and you rub a stick around it. And it makes a, a, a melody, a sound, a ring. I thought it was unique to India so I, I lapped these up, I grabbed them all. I'm like, oh my gosh, India's figured out this cool little prayer bowl. I'm going to bring these home and give them to all my friends. Well, it ends up like Spencer's at the mall has like <laughs> these things for a dollar each made in <laughs> India. Um, but whatever, this great discovery. So I'll spend, not every morning, but most mornings, I will go through this kind of ritual just showing gratitude and appreciation. I don't know if it's chicken between before the egg here, like maybe just happy, appreciative guy that does this as an expression, or maybe that's bringing about more happiness and appreciation. I don't know. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, in business, we all have disappointments, right? We have these things, we have problems, which we're going to talk about problems a lot today and how do you approach those just from a philosophical standpoint, as well as an execution standpoint, not only in your business, but also in your life. And, you know, when you face a new challenge, I mean, I know I I had a new challenge that came across my desk today and we all do, right? But you look at it and you say, well, what's the first thought that comes in your mind? It's like, oh, woe is me and all these problems and oh my gosh, and you get in this downward spiral. So if you can stop that, and it seems like that's a, a bit of a human condition and how yeah. can you hack that by maybe it's like the progressive proactive approach that you you talked about on a daily basis right yeah you know i do have one really a kind of unique hack i don't know anyone else that does this um i do it 
when I'm at a high point, I recognize there is going to be low points. Like that's just welcome to life. Right. I will actually write myself a note for that future low point. So I'll say, you know, yo Mike or dear Mike, I know it's weird. I'm writing to myself, but uh, today experiencing a high point and it feels good and everything feels like in life is clicking. And when I open this letter, I know it may feel like the reverse. Just trust yourself. It'll be high again because you've been there. And so I write myself this cheery letter for my future self. And um, sometimes it's a year later, sometimes it's a week later, sometimes it's, it's just sits there for the future. Um, but that, that's helped me now navigate those dark periods. Not like it may, it may all of a sudden like, oh my God, now everything's great. I just recognize that it, this too shall pass. Mm-hmm. That's really, I love that. I love that tactic. I'm going to start applying that. It's like when you feel good, remind yourself and recognize that future self may not always feel this great. So what can you do to capture this moment and share that with your future self that may need that, right? Because when you're in that moment, you're in that survival state. It's almost like the survival state, right? Yeah. And to think, oh man, all these problems. And then once your mind starts looking for negative, it finds more negative, right? And the same thing, the other direction. And and, and we all have the average too. We all have an average. Now we may be elevating our average, but think about like, I started running about five, six years ago. I don't like, I'm not, I'm not a runner. I mean, I don't like to run. I'm like, oh, I can't wait. But I run three to four times a week. And um, I've been, my average has been consistently improving. So I, I track it religiously. But there's certain days, like I have like this, the crappiest run. Like I can't even breathe. <laughs> and I'm, I'm, my, my timing's horrible. And I feel like crap. I recognize that that is an anomaly that brings the average down. Conversely, I have certain record days. I'll actually show you like, how addictive. I, I track <laughs> all my goals here. Oh, that's uh, awesome. My, this is my annual goals, my intentions for 2020. Oh, very nice. Um, I do it on an old typewriter. I got the whole reason behind it. But I track certain results. So these are my running results. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I have three new records I did this year. Those are high points. And I, I used to say, oh, that's my new standard. Like now I can run... Uh, for me, the, the best I've done this year is a uh, four miles at 750 a mile, seven minutes, 50 seconds. And for me, that's like the, the best I've ever done um, in my adult life. But former me is like, oh, that's the new standard. Like if I run any slower than 750, mm-hmm. um, I suck. I got to keep raising the bar. But what I realized is, no, no, that's, that's like a high moment on an elevating average. I got to elevate the average, which therefore allows me to have the low points. Like when I run like the nine minute mile, um, there was a time, by the way, that was miraculous for me. Now it's like, that really sucks. <laughs> I no longer say, oh, I'm a failure. What's the world collapsing? I'm like, no, I'm just, I'm just the average. I gave it a little pull down. Now I got to pull it up again. It feels much more, it, it mitigates the feeling of the highs being too high and the lows being too low. This episode of Elevate is brought to you by CF Capital, a real estate investment firm formed by myself and my partner, Brian Flaherty, where we invest in multifamily real estate communities across the Southeast United States. If you'd like to learn more about our approach, our mission, our acquisition criteria, and how you can learn more about future opportunities, visit cfcapllc.com. Again, that's cfcapllc.com. Yeah, that's interesting. And I love just the plugging of elevating the average. I appreciate you plugging the name of the show there. But that's interesting because it's, it, it's a marathon against yourself to a certain degree, right? You're, you're, you're going against yourself. You're looking at, well, what have I done from the big picture rather than saying, look, we all know that there's ups and downs in the moment. And when you're kind of zooming in, it's like I read the book recently, um, Thinking in Bets by Annie Duke. And she talked about zooming in on the stock tickers, right? Each day, if you look at a stock from ups and downs, 
it's like, man, your emotions could go all over the place. And if you apply that to your thoughts and how you approach your life or just trying to accomplish goals or whatever, you know, let's look out and see how are we elevating the average? Is that kind of how you're, how you look at that as well? Yeah. There's a personal, the PR, the personal record, right? So, uh, one dangerous thing I tried by fallen is, is, is comparing myself to others. And it's totally ego. Yeah. You know, you, you had Seth Godin on recently. I'm like, Oh my God, I am the worst author ever. Seth Godin just owns me. I suck. And I'm <laughs> lamenting that. Right. Which is all true by the way. No, 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 no. no. He's all, dude. He's freaking awesome. He is. He's an amazing, so, amazing person. And he's bald. Come on. He's, yeah. He's bald. bald. <laughs> he, he leans into his eccentric, eccentricities. Um, great presenter. So, we can go in this comparative state, which quite frankly, there's benefits to that too, because I have to elevate. But I realize that someone that has achieved, if we're using his as an example, what he's achieved as an author, I have a long way to go and that can become debilitating. Like, oh, I'll never make it. You know, I'm just not good enough. But if I look at my own personal records, it's about one upsing myself. And that becomes much more empowering because because tomorrow I can do better than yesterday. That, that's pretty clear. And I'm not always going to happen. I'm going to have the, I'm going to have to elevate the average. I'm going to slip down, but I can continually move myself forward. So to have that self-competition has been much more motivational than, you know, comparing myself to so- someone else and then making it unreachable. Yeah. I think that is so important, especially in today's day and age where information is abound, which is great. It's an amazing thing. We should be grateful for it. And sharing information with others is abound. We should be grateful for it, but recognizing the fact that we have this human capacity to compare ourselves continuously. And I know that I fall into that. Everybody who's listening falls into that to a certain degree. So having a mindfulness to recognize that, Hey, look, this is just you against you show up every day, do your best and, and learn and grow and get uncomfortable. Right. I mean, you can, you can, challenge yourself to get uncomfortable without putting yourself in a losing battle to compare yourself to others. I just, um, I've been working on this thing around confidence. So when I write a book, so you know, I've written a few books. I, it takes me a long time. I'm actually actively writing one right now. I just, just before we got connected here, I'm just working on the system for my new book. That's awesome. And yeah, thanks. But it takes me five. Like this is, this is year four into this. And now I'm in the writing process and the system still isn't perfect. It takes me about five years to write a book. But the reason I roll out as many books as I do is because I write multiple at the same time. So I have three just in different stages. One's about to be launched and there's, there's others that are kind of in the infantile stage. My point is, is I reached out to my readership about uh, a year or two ago asking what books should I be writing for you know, three, four years from now. And for the first time ever, I got feedback not around a business book because of this COVID pandemic. People said, my, my confidence is shaken. Like, I don't know what my customers need anymore. I'm fearful. I simply need confidence and I'm not a self-help like guy at all. Like I don't, you know, it's just not my space, but for the first time I started investigating, how do we reflect internally and build confidence? And here was the amazing thing. We all have confidence. It wasn't like there's confident people and unconfident people. It's the application of confidence. Like everyone's confident drinking water. Like everyone is. And so what, how did, when we were babies, we weren't like our mom gave us a sippy cup. We spilled it on our, our shirts and we're like, nah. <laughs> you know, so how did we get to the level where we, we became confident in it? And we all have our recipe, but usually it's through repeated action, laughing away mistakes, um, not, not miring in the embarrassment of mistakes. And there were certain elements. What I found is we can apply that confidence recipe anywhere. So, uh, I was recently, right before COVID, I was at an event in Nashville and I was walking by uh, one of those things, I think it's called Lime, which is like the scooter things. 
as with this guy, he's like, dude, have you ever been on one? I'm like, no. He's like, we got to race around these electrical scooters around Nashville for a few. Just weeks. some random guy. No, no, as a guy is with. Oh, okay. Could okay. you imagine some dude's like, hey, dude, <laughs> that's you what I was scooters. Like, <laughs> I'm like, I'm in. <laughs> yeah, and um, so no, this guy's with, and so uh, my first instinct was now. Nah. And what I realized is by declining an opportunity to try something new, that is the first step to compromising confidence. Mm. Is that we decline the opportunity. That confidence is is a muscle we have to build in different areas. And the first key to building overall confidence and really nailing our recipe is experimentation in risk, minor risk, small risk. So I said, no, I started walking away. I was like, dude, random dude from street. Uh, <laughs> I'm in, like, let's do this. And um, I did it and it was a blast. Um, but what was interesting was not right around that little scooter thing was the next little like trying out something a little bit different, like a crazy piece of food or something like that became a lot more palatable. It's like, oh yeah, to go in this experimental mode, it, it changed the framework and that starts building confidence, which starts building momentum and so forth. I think it's so important because confidence, I mean, at the end of the day, if you, if you don't take those risks, then you'll never gain more confidence because you don't give yourself the opportunity to take, to have repetition, right? Because that's the yeah. only way that you're going to learn something. And, you know, it also, it puts you in position for growth, right? Which in my opinion is a, is a recipe for happiness, right? Not only success in your business from a from perspective, you've got to grow, you're either growing or dying, but also personally, you know, if you're not growing, you're regressing perhaps. And I think that there's a lot to be said with that. But I mean, you, you mentioned you're not a self-help guy, but you strike me as somebody who obviously you, you type out your typewriting goals, you know, you're thinking right. about confidence now. So uh, right. everything the that you Self-help guy has like all these different worksheets and stuff to improve your life yeah right right so yeah i, I love it so talk to me it takes you five years to write a book and you write multiple at a time and you've put out such great quality work and you've impacted so many people obviously with profit first with fix this next with clockwork with pumpkin plan i mean so many different you know pieces that you've put out there but what is your process and how do you how do you actually download information are you just kind of going out there and seeing what you can find doing research i mean how does that work for you yeah, so there's two elements. Um, one is over time, I've been blessed to have a readership that's really engaged. Uh, that will people I communicate with, you know face to face or email me or have joined some kind of email list or some kind of communication platform. I do uh, you know different web events and all that kind of standard stuff. But they're willing to say, "Here's the problem I'm facing. Can you fix it for me?" And so that becomes a seed for investigating. I right now I think I have like 25 to 30 active ideas. Uh, my employees don't act like owners. I wish they did. Well, there was a seed for an idea, how to get employees to act like owners. Um, the, but the other element, and this is the, the real uh, kind of spark behind it, is those are the, that's the fuel. But the spark is, do I have that problem? Mm-hmm. You know, I'm an entrepreneur too. I, I, um, I own uh, th- three businesses, right? Four businesses, three to four businesses. Like, they're kind of like, a, one's a licensee model, but I'm an active equity owner in three businesses and I have a licensing model. And, uh, you know, so I face these entrepreneurial challenges. I've been an entrepreneur my whole life all the time. And so ultimately I, I'm a student of this stuff because I, I got to learn it. Like I wrote profit first because I couldn't figure out profit. I, I needed that yeah. system desperately for me. I wrote fix this next because I didn't know what the F I needed to fix my business. It was like <laughs> all over the place. You know, so I write these books, clockwork. I needed to stop doing work. Actually, Clockwork, I would argue all the books I've written, Clockwork, on me personally, has had the biggest impact. So I realized up to that point that my businesses, the businesses were still dependent on me. Like I had to carry them on my back. 
I had to, I felt like I had to carry my way back that I had to work harder and longer to drive these businesses forward. And then I realized now I got, I got to extract myself from the business because I caused this dependency today. Uh, Sam Ferson's writing the book because the book's an accountability thing too. Like once you write like clockwork, if I didn't live the system, I'd be a fraud. If I, if totally. I didn't do profit first, I'd be an idiot. Like <laughs> I wrote the book. So I live these systems clockwork um, today. I don't work in the business. I mean, I do two roles. I write books and I'm a spokesperson, like what we're doing now, but the marketing is handled by Jenna and the team there and Kelsey's the president. And so there's team members that are running the company and I'm just doing the stuff that gives me the most joy. Yeah, no, I love that. And you know, what I understand is that your mission is to eradicate entrepreneurship poverty, poverty. Oh, I'm sorry. Poverty. I just look at that right there. Yeah. yeah. Entrepreneurial poverty. I mean, that, that's a beautiful mission statement and right. it's so interesting too, because you think about it and, and really it's the hot thing to be an entrepreneur, right? In this, yeah. in this world, right? Everybody wants to be an entrepreneur and they want to get on Instagram and post their picture and their flashy yeah, car yeah, yeah. and all this stuff. But it is a very challenging very challenging life to live. And a lot of people live in poverty, you know, and, and there's no profit in their business. And so talk to me a little bit about that. I mean, how did you, have you always had that mission statement? Did you just come up with it through your research or how's that worked for you? Yeah, it's interesting. Someone told me um, there's a difference between being broke and poor. I've been broke. I've never been poor. Poor is a systemic experience rooted in a mindset. Broke is a period of time, but it's not the identity of the person. So poor becomes an identity. I'm a poor person. A broke person is someone who is, there's a disconnect between their identity of something of greater wealth, but they're just experiencing a period of time. So entrepreneurial poverty is actually an identity. Mm. Entrepreneurs, there's a faction, and sadly it's the majority of us, who feel that we need to struggle, that hustle and grind is the definition of entrepreneurship, which sadly, some, some, you know, some pretty big names have perpetuated that saying, you work yeah. your ass off, sacrifice everything. It is the antithesis of what entrepreneurship is about. Entrepreneurship is someone who creates an idea, has a vision and manifests it. Someone that organizes resources to make it a reality. They take the risk by saying, here's the vision. Now let's collectively march this way. So they take extraordinary risk, but it doesn't mean extraordinary doing. So it's been bastardized. What entrepreneurial poverty is, is this perception of I'm going to be wealthy. I'm going to have all the time in the world to do what I want. I'm going to change the world. And the reality of I'm not making a penny. I'm working my ass off. I am hating my business. We actually start to loathe our business. This gap is entrepreneurial poverty. Yeah. I'm committed to closing it. And uh, I think there's a noble reason. I, I feel it's noble. Others may not. But the, my noble reason, I feel, is that entrepreneurs, I, I used to say that that entrepreneurs are the backbone of the economy. And I regret it. That's wrong. Entrepreneurs <laughs> are the economy. Wow. We define everything. That's the right definition. As the entrepreneurial journey goes, so does the global economy. So does everything. Therefore, entrepreneurs must be successful and of service and content. And that's why I'm so driven to close it. It literally changes the world. Yeah, no, that's super important. And one of the things that I love that you even talked about in your newest book is that you say with a strong, with a strong foundation in place, then you can elevate to being transformational through impact and achieve perpetual life, a legacy for your business, right? And I mean, it's so interesting because everybody, you know, you have this image of what's your outcome, right? When you get into starting a business and a lot of times you get caught up in the process because it gets overwhelming and things are just 
all over you. And, and then you hear these folks that talk about let's work 80, 100 hour weeks. Yeah. And then you forget about this outcome. And then 10 years later, you're a slave to your business. So oh. talk to me about that. I mean, really, and, and another thing that I love about what you talk about is you have to get before you can give. So could you talk a little bit about that? Sure. Sure. I'll talk about, yeah. So as I was doing research for Fix This Next, I met multiple entrepreneurs, met with multiple entrepreneurs who've achieved legacy in their business. And I define that by where the business does not have dependency on them and the business is designed to be generational, not family generational, but to live in, to serve generations, to, you know, to be around perpetually. And here's what was fascinating. I, and I heard it consistently, not always in these exact same words, but those business owners came to me and said, Mike, there was a day I woke up as a business owner and realized I've never been a business owner. I've always been a business steward. Mm meaning I had a responsibility to bring this entity, this business to life, but it's about the continuance of this business more than it is my involvement in the business. I'm just a cock. It's about it, not me. It's the life of the business. That was a fascinating mind shift is that they had a responsibility, but they now have a responsibility to let this thing be free. The give to get uh, or get to give scenario is interesting. We're told uh, at least that's how I was raised. Mike, you got to give to get. If you, if you want to get in this world, you better yeah. be a contributor. My mom said, you know, give to get, give to get. My mom was a bullshitter apparently because <laughs> it's the reverse. You have to get to give. Meaning in order for us to contribute as businesses, we need to get certain fundamentals in place. There's businesses, not for profits are notorious for this. We're going to change the world. We're going to cure this disease. And they go out to have great contribution, to be great givers, but they don't think about the fundamentals. They don't focus on sales, which for not-for-profit could be contributions, profit, the stability of the business, the retention of cash so the business can continue, efficiency, order. They don't focus on that. They just try to leap levels and say, you know what, we're just going to change the world. And those businesses collapse consistently because they didn't think about the fundamentals. A business, a sustainable business, is responsible to give only once achieved getting you can only have impact and form a legacy when you have consistent predictable sales, when, you're, when you make profit a habit and not just wait for it to magically appear. When, when, when you extract yourself from the business so it doesn't depend on you or any linchpin employee, it can continue on. Once you get sales, get profit, get order, then we can be great givers of impact and create a legacy. I want to circle back on something you talked about a little bit earlier, and I meant to circle back on it, and I asked you that question, but let me come back to it. You mentioned identity. One of the things about, you know, people have this identity that they must suffer, that they must grind and, you know, endure, you know, yeah. emotional, mental pain. I mean, can you talk about that? Is that more of just, you know, hey, we just, we, we stand there and we own that sort of life and we believe that is who we should be. So we just continue to step into that or how do people shift out of that? Yeah. So I, I got a really cool hack to shift out of it. Let me start off by putting parameters on the problem. So identity is the words we use in our mind and actively to define ourselves. And then we comply with those words. Meaning if I say I suck at math, a classic example, I will prove myself right by not studying math, not practicing math, demonstrating my errors and say, there's proof, there's proof. So I, part of my identity is I suck at math and I prove it to be true. Well, in entrepreneurship, common identities are, are provided to us when we become entrepreneurs. Hustle and grind, we already talked about, is a very common one. Top line thinking is a big one. You know, are you a million dollars? Meaning, do you sell a million dollars? Um, that's what matters. Not how much money you take home. Quite frankly, we don't talk, you know, entrepreneurs, we don't talk about that part. Your, <laughs> your, your debt, 
the fact that you can't pay your mortgage, the fact you, you know, you're borrowing your mom's car to drive around, we'll keep that hush-hush. Just talk about the top line. That's part of the entrepreneurial game, our identity. Well, then we become very compliant with it because that's the words we said. We're you know, top line. So it all comes about that braggadocious number. We actually even brag about our work ethic. I just, listen, when I say we do this, I'm talking about myself. Yeah. I remember I had a call with a friend of mine, John Bates. This is years ago. And he says, oh, my God, man. He's an entrepreneur too. He goes, I, I just worked my ass off. He goes, I worked like 17 hours straight. I got, I got six hours of sleep last night. I'm exhausted. And I laughed. I, just, I said, dude, four hours of sleep. <laughs> and I'm like, I won. I just won. And that's when I realized I'm the biggest tool on this planet. I'm, I'm playing with this identity. So the question, of course, is how do you break out of it? Here, I, I've been saying this for a little bit now, but I still can't believe I'm saying this. I believe the word entrepreneur and business owner has been so bastardized. I love those words because what they historically mean. But the, in the modern frame, they've been so bastardized. I think we need to remove those. I think there's a new word we need to start using. It's shareholder. Here's what I mean. The next time you're you know, out to dinner with friends or someone and you meet some people and they say, what do you do? Don't say I'm an entrepreneur. Don't say I own a business. Say I'm a shareholder in a small business. And uh, that will be like one of these moments where they're like, bleh, 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 what? And they're like, bleh, 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 I don't know. Like, because it's such a weird term. But think about shareholder in the historical sense in regards to owning a public company. I own uh, some shares in Ford, like not a stock tip, by the way, but I own some, <laughs> some shares in Ford. Ford sends me a quarterly distribution as a thank you. It's a reward for taking risk. I invest in their stock. Secondly, so I, I collect the profits portion uh, based upon the percentage I own. And I render opinion. I vote for the managerial team. When there's big stockholder decisions, we vote for it. So I have influence over the strategic direction of Ford. No, I'm a very, I'm a minority shareholder, but so I own very, I wield very little influence, but I do some and I get some money. Well, we are all shareholders in our small business. And some of us, many of us own like hundred percent, maybe a partner, maybe you own 50%. You own a lot of freaking shares. And your job as a shareholder is to collect the profits <laughs> and to render the direction, the strategic planning and influence. Nothing else. Like when Ford sent my last check for 13 bucks, I didn't like run down to Ford and say, hey, thanks for the distribution check. I got to work the line for an hour, guys. Right. You know, I, I didn't say, hey, um, I'm going to return this money to Ford. Like you guys, you know, let's plow it back into Ford. Run with it. I took on risk. We've taken on risk. The profit is a reward to thank you for doing what you've done. We entrepreneurs, I believe, are the greatest contributors to our society economically. There's no question in my mind. This is a big thank you payment. That's what profit is. And your job is to render opinion and direction strategically, not to work in the business. Change identity by changing a label. And it's going to be weird. I've been saying I'm a shareholder of a small business now for about a year or two, and I still messed it up. People still ask me, and I think I even said on the show, like, yeah, I've been an entrepreneur too. No, 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 no. Shareholder. I still stumble on it, but more and more consistently I'm saying it and more and more I'm behaving that way. So people are asking you, well, what does that mean? Right. And you're like, well, totally. you know, I'm like, I don't know. I just <laughs> I tell people on podcasts to say this. <laughs> yeah. No, but That's no, then I have to tell them it was, which affirms my identity. It says, Oh, I, I own shares in small mm -hmm. business. And like, you can do that. I'm like, yes, mm -hmm. you can even start the business and you own a hundred percent of the shares. It's unbelievable. Yeah. And then I tell them once you do it, your job is to collect the profits and have other people do the work. And they're like, really? I'm like, I know, it's amazing. But here, here's it. the real magic. Of our world population, only 7% of the world will ever, ever be 
small business shareholders, entrepreneurs, only 7%. 93% of the world does not want to start a business, does not want to take the risk. They're the smart ones, quite frankly, because we're the weirdos. Those smart ones, what they want is a dependable job. Our job, the primary job of a business owner is to provide jobs. That's what a shareholder does. So we need to provide jobs. So my final thought around this is if we're doing the work, if we're doing the hustle and grind, shame on us because we're stealing the job. We're mm. taking the work away from someone that wants to do it. Our job is to create and organize, not to do. It's so interesting that just a minor shift in how you see yourself changes everything. And, yeah. and you know, you really have the identity, you have the opportunity to create the identity that you want. So once you listen to somebody like Mike, who's thoughtful and how he creates his identity and how he allows people to make a shift in their thinking, then you can do that for yourself. And you can wake up every morning and say, here, here is who I'm becoming. You know, I'm a shareholder. I'm not, you know, the steward of my business. I'm not, you know, the small business or the entrepreneur. You know, I am the shareholder. And I think it's so important. I love that. Yeah, so, and, and it's like we gotta acknowledge it's gonna be weird. Like it's not like the more next morning you wake up and like I'm a shareholder, I'm a steward. Oh, that's <laughs> fantastic! Like you're gonna be like, what the hell am I saying? Yeah, it's just repeating it, and it, it's it's the preparation for that awkwardness as we go through that transition. But then the other awkward will come, and that's the magic moment. They will come and say, "Oh my God, I can't believe I used to call myself an entrepreneur," or <laughs> "I can't believe I had to uh, do all, all the work inside my business, and that workaholism was good." Some of those moments have struck me. The entrepreneur one hasn't, honestly. I, I call myself a shareholder, but it really still kind of cling. But when it comes to the, uh, the, the workaholism, I really thought that was something to be proud of. Now I'm yeah. like, I, I feel like such an idiot for ever thinking that was smart and cool. I know. I know. I'm the same way. People are like, how's your day? Oh, I'm busy. And I'm like, oh my, why did I say that? I hate it. Yeah. Because- I know. Who was it? It was Tim Ferriss who said, you know, those who are busy are indiscriminate in their action. And I was like, damn, that hit me in my That's gut. Slap. That's a slap to the face. Yeah, That's a slap it, to the genitals, quite frankly. <laughs> it is. But the that great was- thing about this, and, you know, you mentioned 93% of people in the world will never be an entrepreneur and only 7% are. And many people want to kind of step into that because it's a cool thing to, to say on Instagram or whatever. But one thing that I think is really exciting about being an entrepreneur or being a business owner or someone who's growing a real estate portfolio is that really to achieve success and to have that lifestyle congruency that you talk about is that yeah. you've got to grow as an individual to really face the new challenges. Not only do you have to get the information and be strategic in your thinking, but you've got to grow your identity. So I'd just be curious to know, I mean, how else are you sort of cultivating, you know, the next level of your own identity to raise your own bar? Just out of curiosity. A couple of ways. I mean, one is I'm very clear on my definition of my life's purpose. Um, I really investigated, investigated, invested a lot of time into just figuring out what my life's purpose was. And, uh, about 10, 12 years ago, I really got clear on it. And it went through iterations. Now it's eradicate entrepreneurial poverty. It's, it's a phraseology that, that it resonates with me, but it resonates with, with people that understand and hear that. That's, that becomes a magnet. So it pulls me forward. Like I, to eradicate entrepreneurial poverty, there's 300 million small business owners on this planet. I, I got a long way to go to do that. It's such a big mission that every day I can feel the compression of there's less time for me on this planet. I got to hustle. Um, not in the sense of hustle, like carrying my back. I got to be smarter, stronger, bigger, more impactful with less effort. That's what that kind of hustle. But the other thing is, which is a very practical thing is, you know, surround yourself with people at the next level. Um, Seth Godin, we were talking about him. You know, he's to me for one of my aspirations, I consider him next level. Well, there's, there's multiple authors 
that are at the next level. And so I said, well, I want to hang out with authors at the next level. To me, it's guys like uh, James Clear, author of Atomic Habits, yeah. uh, Don Miller, story brand. I adore what he's done. Ryan Holiday, uh, uh, who's written you know, The Daily Stoic and other phenomenal books, Chris Kellebo. So what I did, um, which is very practical, I said, well, I want to hang out with those guys. They're playing at the next level for me. So I want to step up into that group but I don't know if they'd want to talk with me. So I just put the group together. So I called each one individually and said, Hey, uh, Don, would you want to hang out James clear? He's like, yeah. I'm like, James clear. Would you want to hang out with Ryan holiday? He's like, yeah, Ryan, do you want to meet John Gordon and uh, Chris Gelbo? Yeah. I'm like, great. I'll put this together and I'll be the fly on the wall. Ooh, so that's awesome. I put this, this group to, that's actually the group we put together. Oh, Dave Ramsey. Um, oh, I've never heard of him. <laughs> you never heard of him. So we went and we went to Dave Ramsey's house. That, that was our big, like we, we met at Don's house and then in the afternoon, the evening we spent at Dave Ramsey's house and um, which is a beautiful house. I can imagine. Um, oh my God. Uh, and what was interesting was what I learned in that one hour, uh, one day of just sharing stuff. It, it was so impactful on how I perceive my identity uh, and strate- there were some very strategic things it had an immediate impact on me. Like it, it elevated. I can numerically point to things that were said and it translated to dollars for me. So that's a big deal. I think we all need to define that group we want to play in. And I'm not going for the strap. I mean, Dave Ramsey um, is, is really a big name. He just knows uh, uh, Don Miller pretty well. So we all got together, but uh, like, I don't know if I call Seth Godin and said, Hey Seth, do you want to join me? And I'm thinking of getting, you know, um, Patrick Lanchoni and, Simon Sinek, like, like how about the, the four of us hang out together? Like, I, I don't know. There, there's a certain level of performance where I actually start pulling the group down. This group was higher. I would define higher than me in certain aspirations I have, but I wasn't pulling the group down. I still had a function. I could bring some knowledge and input and be a facilitator. I think yeah. we all should do that. That's a great way to level up. Are you someone who's seriously looking to elevate your life, your business, your real estate portfolio, your cash flow, your deal opportunities, your access to opportunities, your network this year. Well, if that's you, then I invite you to visit coachwithtyler.com because I'm currently opening up a few coaching spots for people like you who want to close the gap from where you are to where you want to be and really, you know, expand that beyond your wildest dreams and explode your business, explode your deal opportunities, explode your vision for what you're looking to create. If that's you, I invite you to visit coachwithtyler.com. I really have to tell you that this is not for everyone. This is only for those who are decisive. They're committed. They're willing to do whatever it takes. They're willing to invest time, energy, and resources into themselves to get to where they want to be and to live a life without limits, to elevate to a life without limits, which is really what we're all about on this show. If that is you, again, I invite you to visit coachwithtyler.com. Again, that's coachwithtyler.com. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting how we all view ourselves and how we fit into the hierarchy, right? I mean, do you think that there's any sort of limiting beliefs around? Because I mean, I obviously you've had a ton of success in what you're doing with your books. I, I'd just be curious. I mean, is that next level, you know, as far as a leap as you think it is? I mean, maybe I'm maybe I'm out of line by asking that, but I'd just be curious your thoughts. Oh, on no, that. I mean, it, it, no, you're not out of line. And, and you're probably right. Like I'm probably, I, I know I have limiting beliefs. I, I just was thinking one recently, like just about the volume of books I sell profit first, I'm like, okay, I, I've got my number. And then recently I was like, what, why is that the number? Like, why am I not uh-huh. amplifying it? Why am I not moving hundreds more books a day? And when I simply wrote down, how do I get the word out and, and move, actually move hundreds of more, hundreds of more books per day, the idea started kind of rolling it through. 
So yeah, hang out mm. with Seth Godin and um, Pat Manchoni. It's actually probably pretty approachable once I choose to accept that. That's There's amazing. no question it's a limiting belief. It's huge. And it's so interesting because it all, start, it all starts in your mind, right? What you yes. believe you can you know, achieve, you will make happen. I mean, at the end of the day, it's in Napoleon Hill and I totally just butchered that, but it's, it's true. And I've seen it in my life as well. Is there any other examples that you'd point to? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, what we achieve, what we believe we achieve, there's no question about it. It's positive or negative, right? So if we believe we suck at math, we'll prove it. The the other thing is I found that when it comes to aspirations around other people, uh, there is very narrow, I think, elements that we're aspiring to. So it's, it's like pick on Seth Godin day, say it feels like. So <laughs> Seth Godin, um, shout out to Seth. Shout out to Seth. Remarkable in, in what he's done with his books. I don't know. Actually, I don't even know if he's a father. So for me to say Seth is the perfect person, I want to learn how to be a great father from Seth, probably a mistake. But I do know people that are really good, what I define extraordinary fathers. And those are the, I want to learn from them. Mm. But they're not best-selling authors. So what I've done is um, I also have kind of a mentor pool around me of a a diverse set of people. Um, My former pastor is from uh, Nairobi and his name is Silas. And just, he expresses affection for humanity in such a unique, powerful way. I want to do that. He's my mentor in that category. I have um, this woman, Nancy, who works with me, who gives me the perspective on female owned businesses because I want to better speak to the community, but I don't have that. So I have this kind of mentor pool where I'm not looking for business advice from Silas. I'm not looking for, you know, um, the best football plays that Nancy ever did. I, I, you know, I, I'm looking for their vertical expertise so I can stretch myself out and expand in these different areas. I love that. I love just getting a clear vision of what are all these different components of your life that you want to elevate and surrounding yourself with those people, because you could probably elevate other people in certain capacities as well. Right. It's a give and get right. Yeah. So I love it. Here's what's interesting about giving. Like I found is the more that I feel I give, my initial thought was if I give stuff away, I don't have anything left. Like I exhausted it. I've put it out to the world. It actually opens the capacity to give more. So as I give more Mm. and I'm not clinging or retaining like like profit first, once I wrote the book and everything I knew, know is in that book. Like everything I know about the whole system, it's in there. It will serve. Someone says like, dude, like save like 20% of it so you can build a business around it. I'm like, (laughs) no, I'm just gonna put it all out there. And what happened is it expanded this opportunity for creativity to explore other things. Mm. And ironically, a great business came out of it um, because it was all out there. People said, I trust this system because I trust this book. I just don't want to spend my time doing it. Let me hire a profit first professional. And so the business came out of it. So it's interesting. The more I give, I suspect the more we give, the more capacity opens up in us to give more and we expand more. I think people have a little bit of a trouble, a little bit of a challenge understanding abundant thinking from that capacity. And I think you only see it when you practice it, you know, things start to come when you just give everything that you have. And it just, it's, it's really fascinating to me, but Mike, I want to be super respectful of your time. Let's transition into our rapid fire section. We call it the rare air questionnaire. It's all about raising the bar. You know, most people are, you know, they give up. Most people are never going to put themselves in a position to understand what abundance is and, and uh, understand that, you know, you don't have to accept limiting beliefs of the previous identity that you held. But with all that said, Elevate's all about raising the bar. So I'd love to ask you, uh, a prolific author yourself, if you had to point to two or three of the most impactful books that you've read over the past few years, what would those be? 
Yeah, so uh, I read regularly. I just finished Rejection Proof. I'll give you some ones that you not, aren't that common. Rejection Proof is by uh, Jia Jiang is his name. Um, here's a guy who goes on a journey to intentionally get rejected to build his muscle around rejection. Really a fun read. Um, oh, you know, here's a classic, oldie but goodie. But I shouldn't even say classic because it's a, it's, a, uh, it's a cult classic. It's called One Red Paperclip. A story of a guy named Kyle McDonald who traded a paperclip for a house and his journey of how he did it. Fascinating insights into marketing when you listen to it. And he's a great storyteller. Um, right now, I just, I'm just finishing Indistractable. Uh, Nir Eyal is the author of that one. And um, I'm, I'm about 50 pages out from finishing that book. It's really interesting. But admittedly, I started a new book, um, really new to me, which is Marketing Made Simple by Don Miller. I just love Don's work. I just love Don's voice. And uh, <laughs> he just presents stuff in such a uh, an engaging, personable way. I, I'm like, I got to listen to this book. And I'm listening to him. Like, unbelievable. Don pulls it off. And his co-authors, JJ, the two of them, they pull it off magically. How do you update your knowledge when you're reading? I mean, when you read so much and you consume so much material, you apply it. I mean, obviously you come across things that are no longer relevant for you. Just out of curiosity, I mean, how do you update your knowledge? How do you show up with the humility from that perspective? Um, well, I don't know about the humility. I, I do know um, how I actually collect it is I, I take copious notes in the moment, not ever expecting to revisit again, but here's my notes from reading today. Mm -hmm. um, and I'll put them here. I will sometimes, not always, later translate this into uh, OneNote, which is Microsoft's Evernote and store it. And then what I'll do occasionally, particularly when I'm in the writing phase of my own book, I'll start reflecting and looking for what I call common threads. I'll take the same note in different words, like 10 times over, I'm like, oh, that one's landing with me and then I'll mm. feel it inside. Interesting. Um, humility, I don't, you know, um, I, I just know I'm an idiot. <laughs> that basically, I know, like, I know I know nothing. Like every time I think I know something, I don't know it. It's such a paradox too, because the people that funny? actually know are the ones who don't feel like they know anything. And ignorance is bliss on the other side of the fence, it seems. It maybe, maybe. Someone's like, oh dude, like Prophet first, like you're the financial guru. I'm like, oh my God, no, I'm, I'm an idiot. That's why I wrote the book. Cause I don't I don't understand. I don't even know how to read a cash flow statement. Like That's like, awesome. I'm, That's yeah. awesome. So I'm really thirsty to learn and uh, I just realized I'm I'm pretty dumb. That's I, awesome. dumb's, dumb's not the right word. That's actually negative. I'm just, I'm, I'm just pretty ignorant. You're being, it doesn't invoke curiosity. You're being self-deprecating. I get it, but I, I do, I do appreciate that. Um, the, the approach that you have. And, and I think that's why we're kindred spirits in many ways, but what is the, um, what would you say is the biggest way that you elevate your life on a daily basis outside of what we've already talked about today? Exercise. There's no question. Like I have a, I didn't realize uh, there was a book by Hal Elrod, the morning miracle or the miracle yep. morning. Yep. So I, I didn't realize I, I read his book. Um, I love his book. I didn't necessarily do what he prescribed in the book, but I do do it. So I get up pretty religiously at five 30 in the morning. Uh, for the first half hour, it's just allowing myself to awake and be present. I actually go through a kind of a review of my physical health. I, uh, at six o'clock to seven o'clock, I am writing for an hour. Actually I do it with a group of people. So there's an accountability mechanism. We just do it over zoom. We don't talk, we just write. <laughs> Then from seven to eight, I'm in the gym or running or biking or doing some kind of heightened cardiovascular exercise. From 
eight to nine, um, I'm, I'm just skimming uh, and preparing for the day uh, and reading uh, and eating. And then nine o'clock, I start with a huddle, meeting my team and then the day's off. So, so I do have a very ritualized beginning of the day. That's really been helpful. That's awesome. Yeah. I think it's, it's funny because earlier you said, Hey, I'm not a self-help guy, but come on, man, you are, ah. you're a habitual here. I love oh, it. Oh, I consume self-help. Like I love, yeah. <laughs> I love this stuff. I just don't preach it at least not well. I, you're I love shifting. It. You're shifting there. I'm looking forward to the, the confidence book coming out here soon. So that, that's awesome. One day. What's the biggest way that you elevate others around you outside of your work? Obviously you're doing such great uh, work with your books and everything, but talk to me about that. Um, you know, elevation, I think it's, it's recognizing, uh, specific talents and wins, but be very specific. So just today, I uh, had a call with our marketing manager and she wrote this one line in a blog we're doing. It said, uh, we're, we're talking about visioning and stuff. And she says, make a vision board and wear it as your pants. And <laughs> it was funny, but in the context was really to own a vision board. And she said, you better be wearing this as your pants. And I said, I'm like, her name's Jenna. I'm like, Jenna, this is that's good copy. Like, and people were commenting in the blog, like that is hysterical. And I get it now and very specific appreciation. And I think that empowers people to, to keep playing at that level. Yeah. I love that. Mike, this has been absolutely so fun. I really, really appreciate you taking time. Is there any parting thoughts or words of wisdom that you share with Elevate Nation today? Um, there's a song out I've just been listening to follow your arrow or something. I think it's by Katie Tungstall or something like that. It's like this song. It's just funny. She's like, Hey, go smoke a joint. She goes, <laughs> but, but, but she goes, if you don't want to don't. And she goes, you know, this is funny. Like this whole, this whole song is about do what you want. And she makes a suggestion because, but if that doesn't fit, you do the total opposite. It really, I don't know. That song at least for right now is resonating with me is that we all have an arrow. And I think our business is a platform to express that arrow. Like, Go all in on it, like all in on it and realize that your business is a platform of expression. Mm. Go big in your version of big, however you define it, it's the right version. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, Mike, I'm super grateful that we were able to do this today and spend time uh, and really just talk as human beings because yeah. really, I mean, your work is out there. It's available for people. And we'll absolutely put links in the show notes to all of your books. Um, absolutely. Fix This Next has uh, just recently come out. And uh, we've actually got a, uh, you know, we've got a giveaway for, uh, for the crowd here, free evaluation tool for Fix This Next at fixthisnext.com. So we'll definitely put a link in the show notes there. Um, where else can the listeners find you, Mike? MikeMotorbike.com. So my name is Mike Michalowicz. No one can spell that but MikeMotorbike.com. So much fun. I, I really appreciate you taking time. And I, and I just want to tell Elevate Nation, I mean, you got to re-listen to the show because it may have seemed like a really kind of casual conversation, which it was, but there is so much gold nuggets of wisdom here. And I just think that there's so much that you can apply, not only, not only to your life, not only to your identity, not only to your business, maybe your purpose, but talking about identifying the problems in your business and finding those and isolating those and really identifying what's next, right? And what can you do to profit first? I mean, there's so much wisdom that's coming out of Mike. So you definitely want to dig into his work and uh, re-listen to the show, but share this with someone else, share this with a friend, tag Mike, you know, on social media, tag myself, tag Elevate Podcast, tag your friend and let them know, hey, here's, here are my top three key distinctions from this discussion. I'd love for you to, to understand this as well, because guess what? Abundance is what we're all about here. And when, when others win, we all win. So uh, Mike, I just want to thank you again for being on the show. Thank you, brother. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Elevate Nation. We'll see you next time. 
Thank you for listening to Elevate. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to rate, review, subscribe, and pay it forward by sharing with a friend. Most importantly, take this opportunity to elevate your results by taking immediate action on what you learned. For more, visit elevatepod.com.